Welcome to the grant, the EU funding podcast. The grant. My name is Nils Todorbinder, and I am the creator, editor, and host of the grant. The Grant is an independent, non-commercial podcast initiative with the ambition to dig into all corners of the EU R&D funding system on topics of interest for the full EU R&D funding community. Lately, the Erasmus Plus program has opened up to me. I've gained nice contacts that work with the program regularly, and through them, of course, I am becoming aware of the large dedicated community working with this funding scheme. So, I decided to open up the grant for this area and start giving the stakeholders a voice. Given the nature of Erasmus Plus funding education in all aspects, you also have lots of NGOs, non-profit organizations and generally organizations with few resources approaching the program. And many of them are powerhouses of energy and dedication to the subject that they are working with. They wear their hearts outside their shirts. But how do you manage to build and run an NGO that more or less only runs on EU funding? My curiosity was awakened by Diana Huber, Chief Operations Officer at CPIP, Center for Promotion of Lifelong Learning in Romania. Her presence on LinkedIn gave me a hunch that she would have something to share. And she didn't disappoint me. Or you, for that sake. CPIP is living out of EU funding and in particular Erasmus Plus funding. This means that they are submitting proposal almost at an industrial scale. So I was interested in opening up her world and let her share with all of you out there in the same boat how they are successfully doing this and sharing insights on do's and don'ts. Great content. Please enjoy. Grand. Welcome to the Grand, the EU funding podcast. I, I'm close to reaching 52 episodes. And that means that I have almost been rolling this podcast for a year. It seems like yesterday I, 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 I was shooting this, this out into the, into the world. But um, yeah, it's just like this. Um, the podcast is getting more and more solid. Um, passing fifth. Looking forward to reaching my number 100 episode. <laughs> it's going to be great. Now, today um, I have a guest. Uh, we will be... Uh, today is going to be uh, around the topic of Erasmus. It's very, very interesting what we're going to, to discuss here today to dig into some corners of that. Um on the NGO side, this is yeah. Looking forward to it now. Before anything else, Diana, welcome. Thank you, Niels. Happy to be here, and I'm uh, quite honored realizing now after we had a short chat that you are actually the only one doing this for our profession. So indeed, it is it is an honor for me to be here. You are welcome. So a little bit of self-promotion to any new listeners out there. So this podcast, it's um, you don't have any any running podcast on this topic. If you Google it, you will find different organizations that did 
three or four thematic podcasts some years ago here and there, but you don't have any running podcast on the subject. It's not there. And this is the motivation for why why I did this in the first place, that I think that this sector deserves it uh, and the area as such, because it's it's filled with things to discuss. So that's why. So thanks. And I I appreciate. (laughs) Oh, yes. And and I can assure you there is uh, loads of teams appreciating your work as well, representing us. I'm get, I'm doing my best to reach out. It's tough being a podcast startup, but it's I do my best to to continuously uh, reach out, and I can see on my listener figures that it 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 keeps growing, uh, not fast but steadily. I steadily get more and more listeners, so so that's it's moving in the right direction. Definitely, um, you are doing something good then. <laughs> that's a lot of people say so. So <laughs> I uh, I'm happy. I'm very happy that people appreciate it. Now. Uh, enough about me. <laughs> hmm. um, Diana, can you shortly introduce yourself? Right. So, name, Diana Huber. I come from the city of Timisoara, which is currently the European capital of culture. Oh, yeah. uh, Timisoara is in west part of Romania. I come from a long line of families that have been here and never moved anywhere in Europe. So I represent my region. My region Mm -hmm. in Romania is called Banat. Mm -hmm. And we are a region of uh, pre-existing Europeans before ever the European Union concept existed. So we are like the last leg of the Austro-Hungarian legacy with all the multi-ethnicity and multiculture in Banat region. And I'm from there, from Timisoara. Mm-hmm. I work for CPIP. CPIP stands for the Center for Promoting Lifelong Learning. And we are an NGO mostly operating in support of the Erasmus Plus public policy. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have enough time to dig into that. So thanks for that short introduction. What I just need uh, that I ask all my guests, um, your main capacity, what's your main capacity within EU R&D proposals? You're sort of, do you, have you been writing proposals or are you, have you been a partner in proposals? Mm-hmm. So can you explain the listeners your experience? Yes, right. So. Uh, my experience in the profession is pretty much identical to the experience of the organization because I'm one of the funding uh, managers. Mm. Um, so our capacity is first and foremost in writing, in developing proposals. I take pride in saying that if someone wants to plant tomatoes on planet Mars and they have European funding for it, we would be able probably to write a project on it. So we are technicians, first and foremost. Then we are uh, old school project managers, um, starting from Grundvig, from Minerva, from all the the programs of the European Commission that were before Erasmus under Lifelong Learning uh, umbrella. Um, besides management, we also are able to do evaluation, external evaluation from the, again, from the technical perspective. So that is our turf. My joy and pride and pleasure is writing projects. Mm -hmm. For the past years, past 
more than 10 years, I've been specialized out of sheer luck uh, to develop proposals for criminal correctional justice. Okay. That means prison, probation, community police sometimes, uh, sometimes security matters. So this area. Okay. Nice. What are the co- what are the areas do you cover in the organization with lifelong learning? Mm-hmm. In general, we cover whatever has to do with education, because I'm a bachelor of educational sciences and specialized in public policy of education. So I get how education at all levels is constructed, implemented, monitored, and so on. Uh, my co-managers as well. So we cover from pre-primary education, that means kindergarten and daycare and things like that, to primary education, to second chance programs, to uh, all the way through vocational, to university level, in setting up ideas that support constructing modern education. And of course, that goes into adult education, into professional development for specific groups of professionals mm-hmm. depending on depending on what uh, funding is available and depending on the interest of the target group we develop we co-develop with the target group programs in pretty much all of these uh, all of these areas uh. now Let's, uh, because I, I can already feel the questions, they are, they are piling up with mm-hmm. me. So let's just, let's just uh, put it into the, 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 the core subject of today, uh, move into that so we can attacking it from all sides. So th- today's episode, we will have a talk about Erasmus in NGO. So you, you as an NGO and how you work with Erasmus, how you work with the funding program uh, for the activities you do, but also as an organization, how you are uh, organizing yourself around using this uh, as a leverage to the work that you do as an organization and and specifically NGO. Yeah, because that's, that's the trick here. Um, So if we just, if you continue what you just uh, we're starting talking about here, so the areas that you're working with. Um, if we talk about uh, most Eastern European countries, you don't have a lot of public resources going into what you do. Hence, uh, organizations like yours pop, pop, pops up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've also had had a, a guest in from Hungary, a private research organization. A little bit the same issue working also with Erasmus and so on, and and educational programs. Now, so you, um, what normally in West, North, Western Europe, Northwestern Europe, you would have public organizations uh, that would work with this. You would have the educational institutions themselves having resources to do this. But my best guess, the reason why you can, why you have a work <laughs> is that this is not something that is available in Romania. The the resources has been cut to the bone for the school system, so they don't have people that consider right, uh, like apply for funding from different corners. Is that correct analysis? 
Yes, pretty much, but it is layers upon layers of particular things. Hmm. Um, first and foremost, we do not have a team of professionals that are specialized in this area. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying from the perspective of public uh, institutions. Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, by the name, by the job description, of course there are. But they do not have my mobility, my level of expertise, my level of English language, because this is a major issue. And this is not only in Romania. And they do not have the freedom of looking, identifying, uh, quick responding on opportunities and partnerships. And then somehow I represent, I the organization represents mm-hmm. a possibility of some linchpin between the institutions and what is out there in Europe. Yeah. The people themselves are hungry, let's say, for a European connection. They are interested how other colleagues, how their peers are doing, but they don't know how to be in touch. They have this um idea of the mythical European projects, which <laughs> yeah. is like a mythological creature, yeah. <laughs> like we are talking about some sort of a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they are like, oh my God, but they are so complicated and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And I totally get it because I just had this hands-on experience of mentoring for five correctional officers that have as a job to develop projects for prisons. Mm -hmm. And step by step, we worked for six months. And I have to say that by yesterday, all of them submitted Erasmus developed by themselves with my support, of course, but Mm -hmm. by themselves with European partners. And this is a huge achievement. Because at the start, we were discussing what is Erasmus. And then (laughs) when you go into the jungle of the SEDIA platform and Solidarity Corp Erasmus platform and PIC number and OID number and on and on and on, it's like a different language, a different country. It's like you're asking for asylum in America. Yeah if you want to join this and it's scary yeah. and this is why i exist as an entity uh, that that particular uh, thing that you just mentioned it's not uh, that's also relevant denmark you would get the same challenge with working with some danish uh, educational mm-hmm. organizations i can reassure you it's the same questions it's the same Verfremdung, you know, it's the same. Uh, oh, yes. uh, what, what on earth is this? You're like, ah, oh, we, uh, it's horrible. You know, like all these prejudices about what EU. So it's not. I can reassure that that's pan-European, no matter the economic development. <laughs> oh, you're like, it's it. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in the EU as a country. It it goes uh, very broadly and deep. Uh, the perception about EU funding. Yeah. So. It's a multi-layer perception, mythology, uh, frightened maybe somehow. So it's a complex system. Uh, 
Um, so 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 that's so that's that. You 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 have a role in the in the system, and uh, because it's not something that is available, so you have there's a whole hole, so to say, in the Romanian system where you can play a part as a professional that knows about these things and that can translate and facilitate that they can have access to this money. So that's almost like a private consultant or Definitely. Is some of the public roles that I have. So that's that's wonderful. Um, now, did the organization, did CPIP, did you, did you, did you work with funding programs? Did you always do that? Or is it something that you moved into at the oh, later no, no, stage? No, no, no. This is something that we started upon. Okay. Because we were a team of professionals uh, already scratching the surface in other uh, institutions, in other organizations, taking advantage of the pre-accession funds. Because my first contact with this world was through my uh, university degree back when we had FARE program, pre-accession program. Yeah. And then we had IDROM and the Americans coming in and bringing another kind of funding. And my manager, uh, she started with IDROM and the Americans and doing all kinds of community programs from their perspective. I started with the very, very first lifelong learning programs while I was in the university. So we got it. Yeah. We got how it works and we got it that this is going to be something of impact for our community. That's so you've been a, an early early mover in Romania because it's uh, it's there's a generally my wife is Romanian so uh, I've been investigating also uh, many years ago about uh, if I should look for jobs in Romania right that the knowledge of these things is generally quite low uh, oh yes um, also, also at governmental uh, level uh, and so, it is unfortunately it is being kept low because the lower the, the less you know uh, the easier it is to be fooled or mm -hmm. to be uh, sidetracked yeah. and then the less you know the more interesting or let's say fascinating those that hold the true knowledge mm -hmm. uh, are so, it, yeah, the, those are layers and layers of complicated issues. But with the arrival of Erasmus second round, I think a bit things are being unstuck. Or yeah. at least I hope maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know what? It's it's um, it's not only because it's also difficult to get uh, in the rest of Europe organizations to attack the funding schemes. I I know because I've been having uh, different positions where we it was the target to get more and more and not you know like there was not enough attacking these mm -hmm. and approaching these things. So it's not just an Eastern European phenomenon, but the problem, of course, is that you are a recent accessors. Yeah, so it's there's a there's a sort of institutionalized knowledge or understanding of how these things work, at least that it needs to soak some years more, you know, into uh, the layers of people who are supposed to use these programs. Yes, and 
there is an issue pervasive that we do not understand or we do not promote correctly and enough the ecosystem because one there is budget for everyone we do not have technical and financial capacity to absorb all the budget there is available so it is not a real competition where we need to kill ourselves over unsavory corporatist practices and I don't get it why we sometimes slide slightly on that uh, arena because there is no need. And I'm, I'm underlining now, bolding my words. There is so enough budget that we do not have the capacity to absorb it. So there is no real competition. Second, second point is that we don't understand there is a place for everyone under the sun. You do not need to know everything there is to know about project writing or implementing. Yeah. Because there are people like myself that hold the language and there are people like other colleagues that hold the key to exceptionally good implementation. We do not need in one institution or in one organization to know it all and to solve it all. Mm -hmm. Not everyone needs to know how to write a proposal. Everyone needs to know how to network Mm -hmm. because I can write proposals into thin air if I don't have colleagues and institutions and organizations that have the need and they can have all the need that they want if they don't have network capacity to reach out to people like myself that can place their need into uh, the grant request yeah. yeah i tell you what um unfortunately uh, the balkans have a um, been hard hit by communism and the corruption tradition uh, that followed with it and that um it's been a little bit difficult uh, to to getting rid of it um, and I know, because I've been investigating these things, I know that for some funding programs, the, the, the idea of transparency is, is, is keeping, keeping a lot of organizations away from the, the funding programs because it, it, it means that they, that's a practice they're not comfortable with, so to say, when they do things where they get money from the public. Um, so that's there's some there's definitely something there, but it's getting better. Yeah. Absolutely, and and I'm in total respect because I am part of this getting better narrative. Hmm. So I am part of the Balkans. I'm I am part of what is going on into our our side of uh, of the world. And yeah, the Balkans have been hit by being the Balkans for forever. <laughs> so they have to get over the, the narrative of, oh my God, we were under so many empires and the communism. Exactly. Okay, yes, let's move along. Now we are part of Europe. But yes, it has been getting better because information travels, because there are people like yourself in this world that opens up and holds space for the narrative. Yeah. 
yeah, it's going to be okay. It's good people like you that uh, that transform things, right? So that's that's the most important thing. And you have, uh, I know the country, I know Romania, I know that they're excellent both companies and researchers that do, you know like they deserve to be pushed into European arena because there's so much quality there. So yes, yeah. um, no, not exactly following the rundown here, but it's not. It doesn't really matter. The most important thing is the nice conversation. So if we just so the the overall motivation for using the EU funding programs, we sort of that 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 we sort of covered, right? So that's that was the sort of yep. the baseline of the organization. Yeah, that was exactly. The, yeah, getting getting working, getting that to work with those funding schemes and being a mediator with that. And we also talked a little bit about how we got started because that was the baseline. Um, did you so considerations when you started the organizations? Did you did you have any doubts or were there anything from your experience working with this at university level where you was were sort of saying this is a leap of taking a, a, a leap of faith, so to say, uh, where you were doubting a little bit if it was would be uh, sustainable enough? It was definitely a leap of faith out of so many reasons. Uh, first, because we were going towards nothing. So we didn't pick up someone else's practice or build on someone else's resources. It was almost like taking a sabbatical yeah. year and see, do we get approved something that we have just wrote or not? And if we don't have anything approved, then everyone gets a job elsewhere and that's it we've tried it we've put our faith in one year exercise because this is roughly what it takes from writing to getting the evaluation form in the inbox and that's it surprisingly it worked and surprisingly it worked from the get-go with the prisons no. and okay. ever since uh, there are days where I feel like uh, I'm working against the system, despite <laughs> their existence. And um, with the support of the staff, so we need to make a big difference in, in a lot of institutions, the persons and the system. Mm. At least in my context and in the Balkans, persons and systems are very different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we had to take a leap of faith, not knowing if we will ever be funded and if the doors of the stakeholders would ever be open. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, because it's a very different, it's a very different, um, especially correctional administration. I can vividly imagine that there's a very, very big difference from Northwestern European correctional administration to uh, a, a, a correctional administration that has it has for many years roots in a totalitarian uh, and very very hard and rough uh, correction yeah yes and no the the discussion here is uh, quite wide but what I can say that is of interest for for our listeners, because probably criminal correctional justice is not their cup of tea, <laughs> but uh, European funding is, and I am the living proof 
that my career, what I know today, uh, which I can say that uh, in some contexts I know more about systems in Europe than their own staff, mm-hmm. uh, is 100% because we dragged Erasmus in prison against the prison wishes, against Erasmus wishes, but because the staff was really interested. Yeah. And that makes it worth the effort. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that we have now a 10-year experiment with the prison from the city that I am in, with Timisoara prison, Mm -hmm. and you would be amazed. And Erasmus funding would be amazed. I mean... Uh, DGAAC has no idea about this, but Mm -hmm. they have a gem of an experiment how a closed institution has opened up and is becoming a leading voice in European projects. A prison Mm -hmm. becoming something like an amazing social experiment in the good sense because they had a series of brilliant governors, absolutely brilliant, they said, okay, we don't get it what this is, but it's not our job to get it. We trust you. You do your thing, your fireworks, and bring European funds to us because we want to learn. Mm -hmm. And so they did. Let's make that a cliffhanger because we have the good story uh, segment in the end. So let's uh, let's let that be a cliffhanger for people, right? (laughs) So now let's get practical into Mm -hmm. uh, how you're working with the funding scheme. So um, first of all, how many people are you in your organization, Diane? At this point in the office, we are 10 staff that we are currently every day coming to office. Mm -hmm. By the way, we don't work remotely. (laughs) We are every day in the office. Okay. And we have a colleague that uh, does the uh, dissemination, the PR, the thing for all the projects that we run. Mm-hmm. We have my manager. She is the finance and the budget guru of Europe in in doing budgets for Erasmus. And so that's her thing, mm-hmm. reporting timesheets and all the nitty gritty of the, the money itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I do the strategy part of the the funding, where to apply, what would be interesting for us, who knows who, who wants to partner with whom, where do we get people and things like that, the networking and the, the um, writing part. And also mm-hmm. my manager, she writes heavily and she's way better than me at at Erasmus Plus, at mm-hmm. KA2 especially. Yeah. And then we have a number of colleagues that do daily implementation. Yeah. Uh, besides that, we have around 150, 180 volunteers. And this happened without us planning for it. And they are volunteers from... The, the end users and from the target group of our projects. Mm-hmm. And once they participate in projects, they are constantly asking for us to involve them more in the, 
activities in the implementation. So that was something we, we didn't expect that much of an interest. And we count on them as our, as our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, so this is, so the organization, it's, it's a, it's a project organization. Yes. Proposal and project organization. It's interesting. Yes. Uh, with a, within a specific subject, it's, um, yeah. Okay. So how did you grow? Was it only you and your partner when you started or? Yeah, we were, we were three and then proposals got granted and there was a need of staff, mm-hmm. which is a huge topic, a huge problem. And this year it was a killer year with staffing and recruiting and, but that's another topic. So we got more and more projects approved more and more uh, schools and prisons and public institutions and all kind of social institutions wanted to join. Mm-hmm. We want Erasmus. Do one for us. Uh, we want to join you. Why you are doing only with them and you're not doing also with us. And well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And because of that, we developed more mm-hmm. from the curiosity, interest, and needs of the target group. Not of our own, let's do that because it might be interesting. Uh, um, Now you sort of put that you have the roles there of the team, but Mm -hmm. but you also mentioned in the beginning that you sit with the correction. uh, So thematic thematically do you i guess you also have a uh, yes yes we do have more or less a, a let's say a department uh, side of the organization so i deal with everything that has to do with justice and with uh, interior and things like that mm-hmm. then i have colleagues that work on schools mm-hmm. whatever has to do with uh, school, school inspectorate, school psychologists, uh, everything in that world, in the environment, uh, parents association and whatever is going on into the school ecosystem. Mm. I have colleagues that work with, with that department. Then I have colleagues that work in the youth arena, youth organization, um, situations where we have marginalized youth, youth that is not employed and has difficulty in finding a routine and all kind of aspects related mm-hmm. to, the, to the youth world. And I have colleagues that uh, work a lot on the topic of uh, social entrepreneurship, uh, the social economy, the overall making money process in the community with the community and for the community mm-hmm. so these are our generic let's say areas uh, what i'm interested in is how did you so did you f- focus narrow i guess you focused narrowly when you started oh yes yeah yeah and then when you started to 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 build up uh, getting funding then you could start to to slowly, step by step, covering more areas, right? Yes, um, it worked first on a basis of who invites us in their proposals. 
because as a newbie on the market, you want to be a partner. You want to yeah, see yeah, how yeah. it goes. Yeah. You're not throwing yourself in coordinating things that you're not understanding. Yeah. And then we got one proposal with a school topic, one proposal with a kindergarten, and we had one ongoing with the prison. And starting from three proposals, you are touching bases with your local community. You are starting to ask questions. Look, we have this project. Would you be interested maybe to see one activity? May we do a workshop in your kindergarten? Maybe we do a workshop with such and such kids from your school. Then people see what it is about. They want to join. Look, we have some staff training in whatever country would you like to join and see what it is about. And then when the program is over, they're asking, oh, but it's over. Why don't you do a next one? Yeah. We want more. Yeah. That's pretty much how it started. So what I need to, because that's what, what listeners definitely from other NGOs would be interested in hearing. So <clears throat> and as an NGO, how is your funding rate? 100%? Oh, that's that's another charade on the, the European level. It's important. So, theoretically, so, yeah. theoretically, and advertised or marketing-wise, Erasmus, it's bragging to be 100% financed by the European Commission, yeah. which is a total lie. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing. Mm-hmm. Because you work on a budget which is developed one year before, mm-hmm. so economy does its thing up and down and things like that, and then we are budgeted within a framework. Mm-hmm. No matter how realistically on real costs you are operating, you cannot cover everything. Then you need to have alternative buffer zones or something like that. Do not fall for the idea that, oh, this is 100% covered. No, it's only relevant. So this is important as an NGO, right? Because you live yes. out of this. It's it's different from organizations, uh, private businesses or, or public organizations that already have unblocked money, you know, that they have to cover. Yeah. So for you, this is an issue. So uh, how did you do that? How do you, uh, so so that that's, that mismatch so that especially in the beginning when you were building these things up how did you did you have alternative uh, funding somewhere from uh, we had a number of and we still have a number of uh, events where we do this thing like all the charities have to yeah. do with raising funds with. Um, reaching out for donations, reaching out for sponsorship. This is a huge thing and it has to happen. And it is on the plate of the upper management to take care of this. Yeah, because it's, can... it's important for you as an organization, right? To have a buffer. Of course, of course, yeah. because I'm going to send colleagues on project meetings, not by rowing a boat. Yeah. They have to fly. Of course, they're not flying first class, but they do have to fly <laughs> decently. Yeah, of course. They do have to eat. And we have a joke, uh, because you were saying with the Balkans. In the Balkans, we have a concept which is called conserva, mm-hmm. which means canned food. We cannot send them with canned food <laughs> in the backpack. Uh-huh. You have to give them some... some uh, 
daily allowance and things like that. So yeah. those are non-negotiable. Yeah. And for the non-negotiables, you need to have some some buffer. So it's fundraising, it's donation, it's trying to look for sponsorship. Is also because we've reached a certain level of comfort in our profession. We have people asking for us to do for the management part of CPIP to deliver training. And yeah. then all yeah. that goes back into the organization because we are not for profit. Yeah. So it takes a time until you build up enough comfort zone so that you can uh, operate. Yeah. So I get my best guess is that you had some rough years in the beginning. Of course. Yeah. And it, it is not uh, a, a sexy job place. You know, you, you nope. don't get to do pottery classes at the coffee break to reset <laughs> the vibe of the office. We are not at that level. No. <laughs> Perfectly understand. Yeah. So that's one thing. So that's sort of how you manage. So the second thing that, that you need to be aware of when you start something that you did is exactly what you mentioned. You don't step in and coordinate stuff. You are looking for being a partner to get your name out there and to have other people taking the rough part of proposal preparation and so on uh, and learning also Absolutely. how is the proposal process and how does it work when it's been implemented, you know, for, to, get to, to soak up all these learnings. But to get to that, you need to understand how to get into those proposals. Oh, yes. so here we're talking about networking strategy. Um, so did, did, did you draw on your network from when you were in university and been doing European projects before already? Or how did you, did you, did you sit down together in the, the three of you and, and say, how are we going to get ourselves into the right proposals in the beginning? So we have a high chance to get funding or how did you do this? You touched on a problem that is created now by, again, our lovely and wonderful and kisses, kisses, European Commission. Mm -hmm. Because but in the time that we started, there were these things called, um, I forgot how they were called, meetings where you get your, networking meetings where you brokerage, get the opportunity. Not both brokerage, they were, they, they had a particular name. Networking uh, events. Something like that, yes. Cooperation, partnership, whatever, yeah. uh, where people got a budget from the national agency. Of course, yeah. they made a request, but mm -hmm. not a very overly cumbersome request, a mm -hmm. normal-ish, to get funding to join such a meeting that yeah. has been organized by XYZ national agency. And they were in contact seminar yes those were called contact seminars now okay. i remembered yeah. and they do not exist anymore mm -hmm. national agencies got them stripped out of their budget and there are no such things as contact seminars without them it's very complicated uh, you need me or rodika my manager because mm -hmm. we coordinate a network and we coordinate like a big network of people that want to be in proposals, are in proposals, are developing, and we meet once a year and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But this is how you start. 
you get in contact with other people. You reach out to your national Erasmus agency. Mm -hmm. They are paid to help you. It is their job to answer your phone, to answer your questions, your emails, to be there and to um, offer opportunities. Because you need an opportunity, no matter how good you are, you still need the opportunity. So, 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 how did you do it? Did you uh, did you we, use we, these, these yes. networking events? They were yes. there when you okay. Yes, we okay. Ha- we went to a contact seminar. <clears throat> yeah. It started. It literally started with being approved for a contact seminar. Okay. Yeah, it, I can I can sh- at least share with the with listeners who have not been listening to my to my to the rest of my 45-50 episodes. I do have I do have episodes uh, in, where you get some tips and tricks from me on how to do your your how to find partners that's that's uh, there's a lot of focus there on horizon europe but the methodology uh, you can definitely copy paste because there's there are some some tips and tricks on how to go through old projects looking through which partners goes again within your specific area or doing the outright desktop research sitting and and investing the time you need in in finding out um, what would be reliable possible partners yes and you have to do the hard work of research yeah you have to be on platforms like uh, now i'm saying from the erasmus perspective like epale this is a platform that is co-sponsored by the national agencies and by the European Commission and you have to dig uh, contact the agencies and yeah basically look for me on LinkedIn and that's it you start from professionals asking them hey are you developing anything look I'm this and this and this and I would like to be in a project you're a good place to start definitely what i'm gonna do if you can share this link with me diane then like because i have this uh, resource site on my website where i put uh places that people can 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 where they can find these kind of things so if you can share that with me i'm gonna put it on the website Mm -hmm. okay um so now we sort of we sort of carved out how you how you got started as an ngo so now you are both uh, so you're both normal partner and coordinate yes yeah at which stage did you did you feel confident enough to take the coordination uh, role on you after two rounds of being partner yeah but uh, we were able to do that because we were actually trained somehow in the profession and then when now i'm speaking for myself when you have six years of school exactly on what you are working there is a bit of a level of comfort because you know what it is around the the bend what it's coming in Uh, and the major hurdle is not necessarily coordinating the partnership which is a hurdle in itself and you need to be aware of toxic partners and so on Mm -hmm. but the major hurdle is putting on paper 
what you have actually done because you can do a wonderful job and you can change, literally change the life of people. If it is not written, it does not exist. And that is the major hurdle. Doing your reports, doing your uh, financial uh, stuff by the book, beyond by the book, and imagine that you have one of the audit gurus from Brussels checking you every day. They are not, but this is how you have to operate. That's a good approach. Um, how is it with the programs that you are involved in? Are they uh, administered by the national agency or centrally in Brussels? Some of them are decentralized. So they are administered by different national agencies in Europe. Mm -hmm. And each of them, it's a country on its own. And each of them operate by slightly different rules. But that slightly is a headache in itself. And again, this is a major issue that maybe sometime we can discuss about how national agencies are different where they when they shouldn't be. Yeah. And some of them are centralized. I had the opportunity throughout my career to see how it is to be monitored or uh, supervised by good project officers or by inexistent project officers. And I can definitely see a huge decline. My uh, fun game, my pleasure, my talent is with the centralized projects. Yeah, Not so much with the decentralized. I don't like them that much. That's the same feeling I get from other people. I start having a handful of, of, of interviews on Erasmus and that's what I get. That it's uh, it, it gets, it gets uh, sort of uh, arbitrary. You're like administra- administration when it, you're like then one national agency has one approach and then next project it's another one and then you have to follow other you know like it's <clears throat> and it's then you're like they over administrate so to say uh, uh, compared to what the commission the commission's rules and it being basically you sit as an as a coordinator and you waste waste a lot of time on things that you would not need to administrate on so that's a debate on its own because if we were to to implement and to coordinate by the rules of the commission it would be total mayhem mm-hmm. it would be total uh, arbitrary uh, at the hands of coordinators and sometimes coordinators are not the fairest or the most trained in what they are doing and other times it would be um how should i say it unsafe let's just put it like that unsafe and Mm -hmm. i really want to sleep well the few hours that i get to sleep yeah and then i would rather be safe and that that's a whole cup of tea in in its own Uh, do you have have your strategy on on erasmus has it changed have you adjusted it over the years your approach to it Yes and no, and the no part is starting to bite us in the rear end because we are like the old school that comes from the lifelong learning program, which Mm -hmm. was much more thorough, much more uh, science-based. I don't know if that's the correct term, but it was implemented with people that knew what they were talking about. 
It was the time when, if you would say in a project meeting, we are going to develop a competence, people would know what a competence means and would not mistake it by a skill or a behavior or an attitude. Mm -hmm. Those times are gone. Mm -hmm. And we need to readjust and we have difficulties in readjusting because we were trained in the old school implementation. Now, Erasmus is going more towards McDonaldization, or I don't know how to put that <laughs> concept, of, of fast food pieces yeah. put together yeah. and make it work. And it, it tastes nice, but it's not healthy. Mm. What do you so, mean? Uh, what do you mean? The the copy of concepts throughout the uh, yes, and in implementation, and in let's do it, and then we'll see how it works, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a good or a, a sane approach or mm -hmm. a healthy approach because you wish your proposals to be granted, and then you have to deal with your not so well written stuff in the implementation yeah. and you have to rewrite a whole project at the first project meeting yeah. and that is not fun no. so yes going going back to your question we have to adapt to the fact that uh, it is starting to feel like mass production And we haven't quite adapted to that, which is not very economically efficient for us. Last question in the uh, how you're working on. So proposal writing. Yes. Uh, so you've been going from delivering texts, inputs here and there to doing a full proposal coordination and writing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been you've been upgrading your capacities on this, uh, I guess, as you've been moving on. How many uh, how many proposals can can you write in the same go? <laughs> Well, my manager, uh, my manager, uh, she did now for this round of KA2, she wrote on her own and made the budget for them uh, nine. Excellent. Nine. Um, I would go probably with three. Yeah. I would go with three. Now I'm planning to do uh, centers of vocational excellency, which are centralized proposals. Yeah. Their acronym is COVE. Uh, and I'm planning to do two in parallel. But they are totally different. You have space to write the narrative. You have space okay. for a storytelling. Yeah. In KA2, you don't have. It's extremely fragmented and extremely repetitive. Yeah. I uh, when this episode will be released, I will also have had released an intro episode on Erasmus, and uh, we talked we talked we uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, in that episode with my guest there. So I I know just a little bit learning 
uh, because it's not my comfort zone. I'm a Horizon Horizon guy, <laughs> uh, so I, but I'm slowly learning more and more uh, on these things. So yeah, it's uh, this. So you have so your fixed boxes, so to say, character uh, is is lower. In, yes, yes, yeah. in the in the decentralized proposals, which are uh, administered by the national agencies, yeah. you have a standard online form yeah. in the platform, which crashed like crazy for the last week, and they had to extend the deadline with two days or something like Gotta that. I love it. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, and they delete automatically whatever you write, and uh, it's a whole narrative with that. Uh-huh. So you have around uh, or between 2,500 and 5,000 characters mm-hmm. per question. Yeah. And then you have chapters and questions and yeah. kind of half of the questions are repetitive. Yeah. So you need to be super resilient yeah. to have the patience to yeah. rewrite your own ideas, but in different <laughs> words. I, I, I understand I do. <laughs> I really do. I didn't do Ras, but I did life. Uh, oh yes. Yeah, and it's the that's the same same story there. And it's <clears throat> just between you and me. <laughs> nobody's listening to it. Oh. <laughs> it's between you and me. No <clears throat> you know what? I do not understand why they cannot just make it Horizon Europe method of submitting. You say you, you PDF your document and submit it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's a it's a nightmare as a proposal writer to sit and have to fill into to to online interface boxes. It's a nightmare. Yes, it is, and a lot of things already exist as an electronic information within the architecture of the commission somewhere, and yet you are up. Ongoing and ongoing introducing new and new data because our DGs are not talking to each other and we do not have a centralized database for all the grants of the European Union. And we will need 100 more episodes with you to discuss (laughs) this topic because I really, I'm, because of the projects that I work in, I'm really keen on doing background checks. Yeah. On people, on organizations, on institutions, you have no idea how complicated this is because our databases do not speak to each other. Yeah, it's uh, if you want, if you need to, if you do this kind of thorough coordination, it's uh, definitely going to take you for a loop because you, you need to dig into it yourself basically you cannot really yes and the fun is okay not so funny once you get (laughs) burned but the after funny it is that you find (laughs) out nasty things about partners and you know and you keep away but you would want to flag them somehow because there are a lot of unsavory practices and if you know how to dig you will find eventually because nothing gets erased yeah. Everything is on the internet and we keep forgetting these things. And somehow project officers are unaware of that, which is like ludicrous. You have to tell them so that they can tell you. And yeah, no. we need talking databases. <laughs> yeah. Right.
now uh, talking of of, uh, of talking, we need to move on to uh, right. to, to because it's um, I as always based in the part of this podcast to come back. Uh, so and and since I've opened up the door to Erasmus, it's uh, it's there's gonna be a continuous flow of different elements related to Erasmus. So so that's um, that's 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 that. That there will be possibilities to to cover other elements. Um, now um, I wanted to have a talk about. I normally have a segment called the toughest challenge, but I'm going to transform it a little bit uh, because that's just taking one thing. So what I wanted to to flag in this episode together with you to for other NGOs is to kind of look at in plural, the biggest challenges for NGOs to work with this. We already uh, have talked a little bit around the subject, uh, but from your from your point of view, um, the key challenges to to work with the Erasmus funding program and how to deal with those key challenges. You know, like I have put here in brackets, lack of manpower. For instance, the manpower issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or resources division between preparing proposals and implementing projects. These kind of things in an organization that does not earn money, it's, you know, like that you have to be balanced to zero, but you, how, how, how you are managing having to preparing proposals at the same time as you are running, uh, implementing projects, these things, but these are just things that I have put here. So, if you if you if you zoom out yourself, the biggest challenges for you as an NGO, what what would you flag? It is a bit different for CPIP because we are at superstar status among our partners. Yeah. So our difficulties are a bit different. But I would say for colleagues that want to join. Your biggest challenge would be not necessarily to get in because you pick up on people on LinkedIn or on on other platforms that are promoting their ideas and then have the courage to write an email to ask questions because we are usually welcoming new partners. Mm -hmm. It is actually a huge asset to be a new partner. So mm -hmm. please put yourself out there, but put yourself out there with the marketing of what super quirky or bizarre or unheard of target groups do you have? Mm -hmm. Put yourself out there with the target groups that you can actually reach and you hold mastery of. Mm -hmm. Because when you want to enter, enter with the best of your knowledge and the best of your asset to make a good first impression. Mm -hmm. And when you enter, the impression that you can make is by the access to your target group, to your end users. Don't tell me that you can get everything. I don't need everything. I have mm -hmm. 100 other partners that can do everything. I need mm -hmm. that particular child that is leaving foster care, let's say, mm -hmm. that only... And this is for real. I know like maybe five people in Europe that actually work with children in the state of care and have actually access to them on a daily basis. Yeah. Those are the rare and wanted 
partners that are for real. Mm-hmm. So put yourself out there with the message of what you can carry. Yeah. And we are going to pick you up because we are looking desperately for this kind of partners. Mm-hmm. Once you are in, it is the challenge of the attitude. Because we are operating with a human approach. We are operating with a low level of resources. But we are operating with the principle and the ethics and the uh, marching pace of a huge corporation. Mm -hmm. So we need partners that eat, sleep, breathe Erasmus. Or at least are interested in seeing what this kind of a mentality this is. Because if I have a meeting and you're telling me, oh, but it is after five o'clock and I'm no longer working after five, I'm a coordinator and I'm going to say, oh, yes, you are going to work over five. Trust me, you are going to work over five. And in Sunday and in the morning while you are in the bathroom brushing your teeth, you're going to answer an email. And while you're doing your uh, kindergarten run, you are going to have a steering committee meeting online. And this is the life. And you need to take ownership of this kind of life if you really want to get in. Because it is very complicated when you have partners that are half in and others that are 100% in. So that is the challenge. And what you're also saying with this is that um, it, it you will not have access to the good proposals if you're doing this half. Yes. Yeah. Or you have access once. Yeah. Because we don't know how it is. Yeah. With partners. But yeah. once I'm fried, yeah, I actually do have a number of partners that I don't know how they get away with. And uh, <laughs> they fry me once and then they fry me a second time. But in I can general. Tell, I can tell you why. It's because yeah. you have something you need. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and uh, we need all to uh, take ownership of the fact that we have partners that are there just because they have a particular name or they have a particular access, and that's it. And that we are doing their work. Yeah. But it is always a leverage. Yeah. So these are the challenges. What about What about understanding of the programs so or the technical side that i guess from when you started this you that would have been a a buffer period where you uh, yourself had to understand and read into the call the program the understand the functionalities of how these things work no? yes again for us it was a bit different because i'm trained in this i had courses in faculty on how to read what is a call for proposal why european union is issuing them how to read them and so on and so on so i cannot say how it was for me because this is what i'm trained in yeah. and for my manager as well <clears throat> but for the rest of the partners get in touch with good coordinators that are by the profession, that they are doing this on a daily basis. And then you get to learn by being a partner. You do not need to know these when you are a partner. 
that is the time to learn about them and to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so sort of, uh, what is it, body, a body program, so to say, you know, in the beginning you get in yes. and you, you ask all the questions to the people who are experienced in these things and you slowly build up your own capacities. Yes, and uh, it is like this, find partners in your country or in other countries that are willing to do a mentorship program like i said that i did with my colleagues correctional officers and start from why do we have this money mm-hmm. who gives it yeah. what is european commission where do they exist because this is not common knowledge unfortunately this is not common knowledge no and that's i can tell you, that's generic throughout europe but it's not it's yes. a, not a regional issue this is something it's broadly no matter who it's it's a way you have to remind what is the com- why is the commission doing this um what yes. what is the reason why they are giving you the funding and what do you need to fl- what do you need to what message do you need to give them what do you need to understand from their back curtain when you apply for these for this no matter the funding scheme it doesn't matter. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. you always have to understand what are their priorities? Why do they give you this? And why do they want you to cooperate with other partners on this? Yes, and <laughs> always go back to the European public policy that you are serving. And this is an exercise that I do a lot with my, my junior colleagues or whoever wants to be into a learning mentorship program with me. We start with the freaking Lisbon Treaty. You cannot work in this profession if you haven't read the Lisbon Treaty at least once. I didn't read it. Oh, you have to. <laughs> but didn't. but then again, uh, Lisbon Treaty is fundamental also for the uh, education and learning side and this being our specialty in Erasmus, then maybe you get away with uh, some other uh, piece of uh, public policy document. But for me, this is like Adam and Eve. It was more the action plans that I would I would be on the technical side. Of that. Uh-huh. It would be the circular economy action plan and the yeah. en- energy but action plan. Again, you do have a piece of fundamental public policy that you yeah. need to read. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. You need to know what where the money comes from and why they give it to you. And why, yes. Uh-huh. And the the backbone message is that we are policy agents. We yeah. exist and... Uh, we are trained and we are offered, let's say, offered, gained, whatever, uh, this kind of PhD level experience that no university in Europe could ever offer to us by the European Commission because we do the European Commission's work. Mm-hmm. It is not because we are interesting, beautiful, and they like our blue eyes or whatever. We are doing their work. We are their conquistador, let's say, even if it is a horrible yeah. comparison. The tool, the tool in the commission's yeah. hands. Yeah. <laughs> Willing to. Um, last thing, probably because you already touched this, so it's, it must be also an issue. So administration, talk, you know, we discussed a little bit about the difference between administration. National agency takes some programs, commission takes others. So this kind of thing should also be a challenge when you step in to understand why things are so. Yeah. Uh, you don't the, need to start with your national agency and get it right. And then there are 
other moments where you could step up to centralized and so on and so forth. Okay. Start with the national agency if you are an NGO that is a newcomer and that would be a good point. Uh, and all the bureaucracy and red tape, that, that's also coming later. Yes. Uh, But be aware that it is coming. It's not whether. Uh, no, it <laughs> is coming. Just it's a bit later. Uh. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else that you It's, would flag here? I would flag that we are an amazing community of professionals. No, that... I was thinking about the big uh, challenges. Yeah, the this challenge. is a challenge as well, you know, no. <laughs> depending on how we want to take it. We are an amazing community, but no. we are crazy AF. So that's a whole issue. You need to uh, be aware of the particularities of the partners that you are going to work with yeah. and the particularities of the coordinators. This is multinational, multicultural, different time zones, different types of organizations, different practices, and it's all over the place. Uh, Don't uh, get offended. <laughs> This is the rule number one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a cultural uh, communication, intercultural communication. <laughs> yes, and don't uh, get offended by emails. No. Oh, no. Pick up the phone. I had a thought. Um Oh yeah, partners and so on. What kind, so within the areas you work with, is that public? Do you work also with universities or educational institutions and so on? Yes, we work. For example, we work with school inspectorates. Yeah. One example of state public institution, or I work with prison administration. I work with prisons themselves. Um, I have colleagues that work with other NGOs, uh, that work with schools. So we work with uh, a whole myriad of uh, entities yeah. that are interested in working with us or ish and that are interested in European projects. Uh, so what you can say for newcomers is that you will uh, generally you're going to learn a lot about how not only intercultural but you also intersectoral you will understand how other organizations and sectors work yes and how institutions that sometimes you have experience as a client with work differently when you are a partner with them yeah things change that's that's an experience and again don't be afraid to ask ask them to open the door for you because you would be amazed by the power of the European project mythology. Yeah. That's the that's one of the very good things about this. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh Diana, we are moving towards the end. Um but I would like to end on a uh, on a nice note. So I put in a section called the good story. Uh, and you started mentioning about the correctional uh, facility administration in uh, Timisoara. Uh, yes. Briefly in the beginning where I said, I stop you here because we're gonna gonna share that in more detail in the end. So can you, can you tell us a very, very nice outcome of, uh, of, of being involved in, in European Erasmus projects? The very nice outcome is that uh, they are building 
besides a very open management style, they are building a team that is out there in Europe, being in contact with other colleagues based on European project management and based on their uh, wishes and interests to make connection, not because their own administration is pumping money in them to travel to to trainings or meetings. Mm -hmm. So this is exclusively with uh, the European projects. And they are slowly going towards something like a learning organization, slowly going towards development of staff, not only in the professional perspective, but also in the European citizenship perspective, which is amazing. And uh, it is no longer a focus of us versus them when it's uh, uh, the discussion of staff versus inmates. Mm -hmm. It is, let's do a project for us as a together everyone in in projects and they realized the added value and it is uh, open to cooperation and they are uh, always responding positive they are developing from their own interest a lot of things and i would say they are my most amazing partners that i have doing reports correctly being on time delivering good quality i literally do not have what to complain excellent. this is this is the level that they have reached yeah, yeah so i guess this also means because this is this is the this is when you work i've been working uh, formerly in my career I've been working as a capacity support right to to try to make smes and make municipalities enter and get to for them to build up capacities yeah. and being involved in projects so they can lift it themselves without my support later yeah. so this is a wonderful example of having your help and 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 pushing in a, at a at a certain stage and then they realize the added value and they start to to play with you and with the network that they have been building up themselves absolutely and, and re- So, so my best guess is that they now have a handful of people there that knows how to do this. Yes, and they have dedicated uh, project officer yeah. that yeah. is responsible with the with the, the proposals. They they write proposals, they implement proposals, they coordinate and are invited as partner. Mm-hmm. They always check with us, even if we are not involved. Yeah. But they say it is out of courtesy and common sense to mm-hmm. share with us because I have been telling them as well, we are never in competition. It's excellent. I love it. And so are there any, can you mention any you know, concrete uh, project activity that you made with them? Something that, you, you understand, something that they yeah, made yeah, a specific... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's say we did a first cross-border cooperation, which mm-hmm. is not Erasmus. Yeah. It is uh, interreg cross-border cooperation with prison from Serbia. Yeah. So outside of European Union. Mm-hmm. So this is already challenging. Uh, maximum security prison in Serbia, an open prison regime in 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 Romania, in Timisoara, CPIP, and together we thought of a training program for the staff and inmates together 
to dry fruits and vegetables from their prison garden yeah, and nice. to use them in their daily uh, daily food. Yeah. And we got machines and we got them to train on how to operate them and so on and so forth. That yeah, is one great. specific project. Yeah. And in, in Erasmus, we did all kind of how can we... Uh, bring entrepreneurial programs? How can we develop a creative task that uh, enhances little things in the prison by doing themselves the improvement and starting little projects with gardening or with arts and craft or with music or let's start a rap thing in the prison and create music and create radio show. Maybe, but I guess also uh, making sure they don't get stupider in the in the prison, but lifting their educational level when they're in prison. I guess something like this. No? Yes, of course, but that's a huge elephant in the room, and that is a super complex topic which unfortunately doesn't get discussed and it is because a lot of ministries are at play this is like the baby with the too many midwives that never gets mm-hmm. to be born yeah um of course we have programs with uh, second chance education with uh, digital we are scratching the surface on how can we also teach digital competencies on how can we teach little entrepreneurship programs for population that faces huge employment issues, uh, programs with how to get employers to come in the prison and set up workshops or how the prisoners could go into companies and work while they're in uh, executing their sentence and things like that. And And they work in Erasmus very well. Yeah. I guess so. So this, of course, this sort of, because at least for the ones that are getting out a certain time, that they to try to avoid that they fall back into into crime, right? So you, I guess that's 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 yes. a key, key baseline of of this that they get get capacities to make their own business when they come out, or give them a skill that they can sell. As an, uh, yes, yes, yeah. that 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 would be the idea. Yeah. Ah, oh, that was a nice, nice ending uh, to this conversation. Um, Diane, um, we reached the end. Unfortunately. Ah, oh, but it's not the. It's not. We will. We will get back to each other. Don't worry. Uh, I will. I will. I will continue my my quest here, developing nice content, audible content for for the community out there. So um, there will be a growing community, I guess, on Erasmus since I have started to to uh, to dig and into that. And I so, would yeah. encourage my colleagues that are from the CPIP network, EUNet, uh, CPIP.eu. Uh, Let's join. Please state your issues. Be in contact. Make a bit of noise because we are we are always complaining we are not represented. Well, here you go. We yep. started the conversation. Well, I'm always uh, on on you know like looking for uh, for concrete uh, for for other leads so to say. So if you have uh, any of your of your good partners, I would even uh, be very interesting to have the prison. Uh, if any of these people from the from the Timisoara prison, for instance, if they would like to join for an episode to explain themselves what it has done for them, uh, okay. and how they work with it, I will pick you up on that challenge. And that would be we will, excellent. 
that would be excellent. Then the ball is in the, the court of Mr. Governor and my, my colleague project officer there. But uh, yes, I'm sure that they will have a, a positive response to this. Yeah. And then another subject that you can think about is the network that you have in Europe. If you have uh, two persons from different corners of Europe that you all often work together with, we can have an episode on how you on the networking side, uh, how you like, yeah. Oh, I would love to do that. And I have exactly the, the correct colleagues the, the right colleagues to be in conversation with we will uh, we will uh, we will um, take that behind the curtain so it's uh, Perfect. excellent um i'm just going to land the plane of the of the episode before we're going to say goodbye to the listeners so dear dear listeners i uh, thank you for listening to the end uh, I hope you enjoyed this very much. As you all know, at least my regulars, uh, I do try to build up content and content and content that is interest in all corners of the EU funding world. And that's a big animal to chew down. So this is the way I do it. I slowly but steadily take different bites from different corners and fill in content that should be interesting for, for, for segments of this EU funding, uh, big EU funding community. Um, so... Um, Check out my website, uh, thegrand.eu. It starts to be quite uh, quite heavy in there, more than 50 episodes. Um, there you will also find the hub uh, where I will share the, 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 the links that uh, Diana mentioned here, where you can find your way to possible partners on the Erasmus. But also I am the best way for a startup like me, podcast startup is uh, to get uh, people to sign up on the uh, email list of the podcast. And that you do on my website. So on the on all all sites, main site and sub sites, you'll find a subscription, digital subscription form at the bottom, as you know them from other websites. So please, by all means, if you uh, have sympathy with this uh, initiative, that's the best way you can support me because that that equals uh, currency in the podcast world, and eventually, so I can grow things as I move on. So please, by all means, I think that was that for now. <laughs> That was loads of fun. It is. I love doing this. It's a fantastic uh, thing that I, I've. I, it's the best thing that I've done in years uh, to to build this up. So, and all my guests, they think it's great. <laughs> so it's it is it is very nice because it's very nice to dig into something that people have a beating heart for. Yeah. So, it's uh, yeah, it's lovely. Um, Diana, thank you again. Thank you the same. It was amazing. And thank you for holding space for us. I cannot say this enough. I am the one that is thanking you. And I will be crossing my fingers uh, and legs that you will get the funding, as much funding as you have been applying yes. possible uh, for the ones that you've been submitting now. And now you should go and get a rest. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my manager needs a rest. Uh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm shouting, shouting out because now she's on a project meeting somewhere in Europe. Of course she is. <laughs> <laughs> Diana, uh, please send my regards to all of your team there and I will let you know when the podcast will be about to be released. Yeah? Yes, perfect. Thank you. Bye. Be in touch. Bye. Bye.